Thanks for joining us again for Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm your host, Danny Smith, and today's agenda is how to engage supervisors. Notice I didn't say in safety, because when you take a human factors approach like Safe Start, it's really all about performance. But because of time constraints, I will narrow down the discussion today to only safety. However, keep in mind, these concepts can just as easily apply to key performance indicators in areas such as production, quality, and customer service. According to Dr. Judy Agnew, a recognized thought leader in the field of behavioral-based safety and safety leadership, when engaging supervisors, she suggests focusing on five key areas. Building relationships, second, responding to hazards, third, encourage near-miss reporting, fourth, eliminate blame, and fifth, use more positive reinforcement. So today we're going to use her outline and we're going to approach it from a safe start perspective. First of all, five bullets seems, well, pretty simple, but there's a tremendous amount to unpack there. I'd like to start by paraphrasing something I read in the book, Crucial Conversations. It goes something like this. You only take advice from those you respect and those you believe have your best interest at heart. Or, as former President Teddy Roosevelt said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If I were asked to advise supervisors and keep it to a couple of sentences, I can't think of two better things to share with leadership. Well, fortunately, though, we've got an entire podcast today. So let's start with the first of the five concepts from Dr. Agnew. First of all, building relationships. It should come as no surprise that when the supervisor has a positive relationship with his or her crew, the crew is safer and ultimately more productive. I've certainly found this to be the case in my career, both before and after becoming a consultant. I know when I was working as an EHS manager, I would spend lots of time talking with employees, having lunch with them, talking to them at breaks and at their machines. It's amazing how developing these informal relationships helped me to unearth issues that may not have been mentioned previously, to see patterns that might otherwise go unnoticed, and to get some of those great ideas that they have to improve things. So building relationships is largely about building trust and respect. In Safe Start, that involves communication. More on that as we go along, but for right now, let's focus on the idea of storytelling. Why is that so important? Well, what we found is if you desire to connect in a meaningful and positive way with your direct reports, being transparent is a real key. An important tool Safe Start provides supervisors is storytelling. And when you share or tell your Safe Start story, well, it shows them that you're human too. It shows them that you're working on your mistakes that are caused by those four states. I've encountered people who have said, well, they, my direct reports, won't follow me if I admit that I make mistakes. I'm often reminded of that with Colonel Potter from the comedy MASH who said famously, horse feathers. Yeah, trust me, our employees are just like our family. They know we make mistakes. It's bad grammar, but let me put it this way. Ain't nobody perfect. And those that are around us, they know that we're not perfect either, right? 
Another thing I've seen is that people truly respect a leader who is willing to roll up their sleeves and work shoulder to shoulder with them to solve a common problem. If we apply that to the reality that we all make mistakes, then that transparency begins to work in our favor. So when should we share these stories? What we found is that the best of the best plan specific times to share these stories. Many people start a, with a story at every meeting, be it safety, production, or even finance. One thing I'll mention that I think many fail to do when they're sharing these stories, though, be sure to talk about what you can do to prevent it from happening again. That is, in Safe Start terminology, how can you use the search or the critical error reduction techniques to prevent it from happening again? As we often say, the states and the errors are somewhat intuitive once you go through them a few times. But the skills and the tools that the search provide, those need practice and they need reinforcement. So realize as well, these stories can be useful even in casual conversations. Share with your crew what you're working on. For example, the habit of moving your eyes before you move your body or your vehicle. How do you do that? Well, you do it by providing positive reinforcement and positive correction. Now, this podcast isn't intended to be pitching products or processes, but we talk a lot about these communication concepts in Rate Your State, which we covered more in depth in another podcast. We talk about it some in Safe Lead, which deals specifically with equipping supervisors with the tools they need to be successful. And in Safe Track, we've got an entire module that's built on the communication piece. And Safe Track, by the way, is kind of our traditional observation and feedback process. So if you'll permit that much of a commercial, uh, you can talk to your account manager or check out our website, safestart.com, and you can get more information about that if you're looking for other ways to improve communications in your facilities. All right, enough of the commercial. Here's the point. Leadership at all levels need to put the, the what can get you hurt on people's radar. They need to keep it there. And then employees will do the rest. Remember, no one's trying to hurt themselves or get others hurt. But then again, we never meant or intended to make the mistakes that cost us time or money either. So the next thing we'd like to touch on is the idea of responding to hazards. If people are willing to point out hazards, for goodness sake, jump on those hazards and get them mitigated if you can, or steer them into existing systems for getting things corrected. And by the way, if you can't get them corrected immediately, be sure that you communicate that back to everyone. It's nothing worse than having something that's just open and hanging out there. It can build a lot of distrust and, and uneasiness and uncertainty. So having a system for reporting and responding to hazards not only prevents future potential injuries, but it's also an opportunity to really, really build some goodwill. Not every hazard can be eliminated, and that's exactly where the hierarchy of control comes into play. But supervisors need to take some ownership regardless and complete that communication loop. So you can't say it enough. State it plainly. Tell them why a hazard's not being fixed, what's being done to find a permanent solution, what controls are being implemented under kind of the traditional hierarchy of controls. It may be something, for example, that's going to require a large capital expenditure that can't get, be, even be completed until the next budget cycle. So the temporary measures have to be put in place until then. 
But again, the key is communicate. Bottom line here, not completing his communication loop will eventually and inevitably result in no one reporting hazards because they'll adopt the attitude that, well, nothing's ever done about what we report anyway. We also need to talk a little bit about encouraging near-miss reporting. If you'll take a moment and visualize the risk pyramid, fatal errors at the top, majors, minor injuries, and so on. Near-misses or close calls are where, as we often say, the learning is free. No one got hurt and no equipment or production was harmed. Pretty straightforward. So why are we even talking about encouraging near-miss reporting? In my experience, it's often because we often take the attitude of, well, no harm, no foul, rather than seeing these events as learning opportunities. They can help us as individuals and also as an organization to identify not only physical hazards, but also help understand how human factors, such as not making eye contact with mobile equipment operators, can contribute to these near misses, which, by the way, I find to be a complete misnomer. They're really near hits, but let's not split hairs about that right now. Often these issues can be efficiently handled by one-on-one with supervisors, which goes back to the concepts we talked about earlier about building relationships and responding to hazards. At the same time, the supervisors can help the organization identify some of the trends that are happening and improve things for everyone. That's a part of what we call the individual and the organizational learning loops. More on that in another podcast, though. Back to uh, Dr. Agnew's list again. Eliminate blame is the next concept that we'd like to address here. Safety has historically been called the name-blame-shame game, and I suppose that's been the case with a lot of organizations in the past, particularly as it relates to human error. But blaming someone for a mistake that they never intended to make is fruitless at best and extremely harmful at worst. It can create a climate of fear that drives the reporting of true mistakes underground. Are there situations where you have to move through your progressive discipline procedure? Absolutely. But discipline is best left for rules and procedures violations, whereas true mistakes are best handled through coaching opportunities. Which brings us to our last point, using more positive reinforcement. I think this one should go without saying, but I'll offer a few thoughts regardless. Here we're not talking about that generic, oh, great job, or thanking from every little thing that they've done correctly. Oh, thanks for wearing your hard hat today, Stan. Well, yeah, like I had a choice. But a sincere thanks that reinforces good habits or skills goes a long way in ingraining that behavior. For example, if you notice a mobile equipment operator looking over their shoulder at the floor to see if there's anything that would cause them to lose their balance or traction, thank them for doing that. Doing so accomplishes several things. First of all, it positively reinforces the safe behavior. The second thing I'd say is it also changes the climate of what gets recognized around here. And it changes it from the at-risk behaviors getting noticed to where they begin to realize that, hey, they're recognizing and we are being recognized for our safe behaviors. A couple of quick tidbits to keep in mind when it comes to positive reinforcement. First of all, it's got to be witnessed. You've got to see it. You can't just say something about something that you heard about or that you assumed. 
And then as well, the feedback has to be really specific. Again, the generic thanks for working safely just isn't going to cut it. Probably more important than positive reinforcement, though, is the idea of positive correction. Although this is needed much less frequently, it's even more important that positive correction be done the right way. This is where your coaching and communication skills really come into play. After all, where is it written that you must belittle someone when correcting them? The key here is to show genuine concern for their well-being. Let's say you see one, someone getting off a piece of equipment without taking that quick look over their shoulder. How you approach them can make all the difference. You could simply say, Bill, look over your shoulder next time. Or you could take the positive correction approach that may sound something like this. Bill, I noticed when you stepped off the fork truck that you used three points of contact. Hey, thank you for doing that. I've seen a lot of people hop off and just try to stick the landing like they're in the, elect, uh, the Olympics or something, trying to get a good score from the judges. However, it was thing, one thing I noticed there that, that concerned me a bit. You didn't take that little extra look over your shoulder as you stepped off to see if there's anything there on the floor that could have caused a problem. Now, our housekeeping's pretty good around here, and you contribute to that, but you never know when one of these trucks might leak some fluid. It could be a little sliver of wood there on the floor, and, you know, it could very easily cause you to roll an ankle, do the splits, whatever. And trust me, I know, because it's happened to me. So what you may find is that a part of this, as a part of this quick interaction that Bill usually does take that look, but for some reason he just didn't at that moment. Maybe it's because of one of the four safe start states, which then provides you a perfect time to, uh, to begin to discuss the safe start concepts even further. Those four states or a combination of them are capable of defeating even the strongest of habits, which is why we have to work on them constantly. Again, none of us are perfect. So you get to decide which approach you're going to try with Bill. If you're going to just tell him to take that extra look, or if you're going to use the idea of positive correction to coach him. I don't have to tell you which one I'd bet the farm on. So let's recap. First of all, build relationships. Second, respond to hazards. Third, encourage near-miss reporting. Four, eliminate the blame game. And number five, use more positive reinforcement and positive correction. That's it for today. I'm Danny Smith for Safe Talk with Safe Start. Be sure to check in on our website, www.safestart.com, or you can contact your account manager for more information on any of the concepts that we've talked about today. Again, thanks for joining us, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Have a great day.